About a decade ago, two scientists, Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Doudna, developed a technology that would revolutionize genetics. They created a tool that allows scientists to modify the DNA of living organisms. It's called CRISPR, and you may have heard of it because it caused quite a stir. Not all of it positive. By changing the building blocks of life, were scientists playing God? That fear came to a head in 2018, when a Chinese scientist announced he'd used CRISPR to edit the DNA of two baby girls. When the girls were still embryos, he used chemical scissors to turn off a gene that makes people vulnerable to HIV infection. His experiment shocked the scientific community, and he was later sent to prison by the Chinese government. But in general, CRISPR has been a windfall for genetics. It's allowed scientists to carry out experiments much more quickly, and it could lead to treatments for genetic illnesses long thought incurable. In recognition of that achievement, last week, Charpentier and Doudna were awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. It's the first time that two women won the award. So today on the show, one from the archives. This is an interview with Jennifer Doudna, who spoke earlier this year to Ariel Zuem Ross, host of the Reset podcast. Here's Ariel. It's sort of crazy to think how quickly this technology has been adopted and how fast it moved to human applications. From what I understand, this started out as a side project for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I, you know, I had a few, uh, had some sleepless nights uh, wondering how I would pay for it. You know, how could I responsibly, <laughs> uh, you know, use my research funding for this um, crazy little wow. project that maybe didn't have anything to do with anything but, you know, I had a feeling about it, I have to say, because it, it certainly seemed like a system that had a lot of capability. I'll tell you a little story, you know, that kind of illustrates this. I, I, was, I was having dinner with my neighbor, who is a computer a programmer, software uh, engineer, and so he's not a biologist. And mm-hmm. I came home uh, one day from the lab, and I was, you know, my neighbor was coming over for dinner, and I was racing around the kitchen getting getting ready, and he knocked on the door and, you know, he said, oh, can I can I help you in the kitchen? I said, sure, come on in. And he said, so, you know, what's uh, what, what's cooking in the lab? And I said, well, you know, we found this crazy protein in bacteria. And it's I said, I said, it's, you know, it's programmable. You can program it. And he wanted to, he wanted to understand that. And so I, you know, I tried to explain it to him and he got it. You know, he said, oh, my gosh, you mean you telling me that you can write a little uh, molecular message that goes into the cell and tells it to go to a place in the DNA of the cell and change it, change that code somewhere. And I said, yes. And not only that, I can decide where I want to change the code. You know, line 575, you know, word mm-hmm. word number 47, you know, I want to change that word. I can do it with this tool. And he said, wow, he said, that is going to be really useful. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it was the concept that even somebody outside of biology, once they understood a little bit about it, they could appreciate how, how useful that would be. The bigger implication to me was that this was going to be a really big deal. This was actually, you know, the start of something really big. And we couldn't tell at the time quite how big, but we knew it was going to be impactful. And I realized that Nobody outside of, you know, a small circle of scientists, certainly at that time, had any idea. 
try to imagine that. It's a very weird feeling, feeling like, you know, I am privy to information that I know is going to change everything. You know, it's going to affect everyone's lives eventually. And right now, I'm one of a small group that knows about it. It's a, it's a very weird feeling. And I that was one of the motivators for me, honestly, to um, think about how I was going to get out of the lab and really start talking about this more publicly. So there's a question that I've been wanting to ask you for a while. Um, in your book, Crack in Creation, you related a specific dream that you had. Do you remember what that dream was? I believe you might be talking about my Hitler dream. <laughs> I might be. So that was a, it was a, a bit of a watershed moment for me. To summarize it, it the idea, you know, in the, in the dream, I was walking into a a backlit room and saw a, a figure sitting in a chair with their back to me. And a colleague uh, said to me, I'd like you to explain uh, CRISPR technology to this person. And the person in the chair turned around and I saw that it was Hitler. He had sort of a pig snout. It almost looked like a the kind of uh, crazy, you know, genetic, uh, weird combination that you maybe could imagine coming out of something like genome editing. And it was a, you know, it was really a terrifying moment in that dream. And I, I, it's the kind of dream where, you know, I woke up kind of sweating and in a shock. Right, because in this dream, I, I, I think what happened is that this Hitler figure starts asking you questions about the technology and says that it's amazing, right? That Hitler is excited about using CRISPR, basically. That's, that's right. And it was a very creepy feeling in the dream of, you know, feeling icky, right? I don't like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be talking to this person about this technology. Um, but recognizing that there I was and, and, and having to deal with it. And I think it was, you know, it was really a moment when I, a lot of things, a lot of ideas and thoughts that I had been having came together for me. And I realized, you know, I'm one of the few people that appreciates something that's very, very profound that's happened, in this case, this technology that has so much potential um, to do good, but also to cause harm. And and so I, I think, you know, for me, after that dream, I started to work much more actively to be much more public about the technology and, and think about how we could work together to ensure responsible use. Do you think you'd still have that dream today? Is, is that still relevant? Is it still relevant? I think it's certainly still relevant, but I, I suspect that I... So I haven't had another dream like that, which is maybe telling. Um, and, and I think part of it is because of, um, you know, sort of the sense that I'm not alone, that, you know, there's m many people now that appreciate the, the, both the power and the, and the risk of the technology. And, and I really do feel that there's a, a global community of people that are working to ensure that it's used responsibly. Do you think that we're going slow enough with CRISPR? Boy, how to answer that. <laughs> uh, well, I guess the first thing I would say is that, you know, the, the technology is so enabling. 
for scientists that there's no way to put the genie back in the bottle, at least uh, at the level of research. And then, of course, at a whole different level, there's the um, very tangible now opportunities to affect people in positive ways that, that suffer from genetic disease that is, I think, you know, very, very exciting, very tantalizing with the technology. So I guess, you know, in the end, I don't think it's moving too fast, but I do think it's moving fast <laughs> for sure. And, and that it really does make it imperative that uh, the scientific community, um, you know, deal right up front with the, the uh, various challenges that we face to make sure it's used safely. Jennifer Doudna is a biochemist at UC Berkeley. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> 